listening to two on one the multiverses number one podcast about theology and pop culture their intersections and of course doing whatever a spider can i am your co-host the reverend arthur stewart look what this spider can i am your reverend i am your reverend i am your reverend spider-man spider-smith all right. And uh, I mean, we're talking about the multiverse. We're talking about the culmination of 20 years. We're talking about the best Spider-Man movie, the best superhero movie with one of our best guests. It's a great show. And we're glad you're here joining us on two on one. Hey, Spiff. I hate to ask Hi. you, would you please unmask? Uh, even it surely though, will. It's a major plot point in like every Spider-Man movie. <laughs> You've unmasked Spider-Man, Spider-Spiff. It's good. I hope you're ready to go full nerd today. I mean, well, I here's guess. the here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Spiff is a nerd on lots of different things, as we know. So is Arthur. You know, we are we are nerds. It's fine. I'm generally a musical theater nerd, um, you book nerd, but I am a Marvel nerd, and we know this. So Okay, well then, listeners, deuces, friends, I hope you're just ready to get into the minutiae and come into the weeds with us as we talk about Spider-Man. But before we do, I want to talk about another thing I'm such a nerd about, which is liturgy and which is church. And you can't really do liturgy in church without talking about Jeff Wanro designs. Uh, for the last 16 years, uh, they've been celebrating making Ordinary Time Extraordinary uh, with their chasubles, copes, capes, miters, uh, liturgical textiles of all varieties, and most particularly to what we talk about all the time, it seems, are stoles. Mm -hmm. Stoles, of course, for our Baptist friends and other listeners who may not be from the tradition, are what we could call fancy worship scarves. They're meant to invoke the yoke of Christ around our shoulders, and there is not a better artist or creator of these than Jeff Wanro Designs. Totally agree. I, you know, I, for those that aren't watching, I was wearing a Spider-Man mask that made that his eyes or his, her eyes come down and uh, glow. And I'm really into this mask. Um, and I literally, I was like, what are we going to do for the one row promo? And I was like, I wonder if Jeff would make me like a Spider-Man or a Marvel universe or specifically a Spiff loves Chris Evans, Captain America stole, um, which would not be appropriate, but would be something that I would love and would be something that Jeff could do, but probably wouldn't, but you never know because Jeff does customizations like no one I know. And that was where I was getting at with this. I was like, Jeff could do a Spider-Man stole that looked phenomenal. Jeff Wonder Designs prides itself on being artistically sound and theologically appropriate. You can look at yeah. the full catalog of stoles, which are for a wide variety of liturgical seasons from Advent to almost Advent. You can go to their website, Jeff Wonro, J-E-F-F-W-U-N-R-O-W.com. And when you do, make sure that when you fill your shopping cart with stoles to buy, you use our promo code, two on one, those are letters, one five, those are numbers, at checkout and receive 15% off your entire stole order. 1,000%. It's uh, it's incredible what Jeff does, and we are grateful for Jeff's years, truly years, of support of two on one. Absolutely. So once again, go to jeffwonro.com, but do it after the show because you won't want to miss this. Uh, it's like Spider-Man when he lifts you up, when you like... You know, like shooting hey. and we capture and we yeah, grab. Welcome, welcome back to two on one. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, it's such a it's such an honor to be back. I was so excited that we set this up. 
Oh, we're we're excited. You have been on our list for when are we doing Spider-Man No Way Home? And now we are, and here you are, and I'm just thrilled, so spiff. It's truly, truly, we are uh, very excited. Um, but JR, we know you. We are excited to see you. And I know our deuces uh, have, have met you once, but fill us in on who you are. What have you been doing? I hear you have a new podcast out. Uh, or is it new? But, uh, you know, what's going on with you? Uh, and then talk to us a little bit about uh, why Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, so I'm a pastor in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I actually am in the process of... Uh, moving my occasional freelance writing at Sojourners Magazine to a columnist position. So expect to see more of my stuff at Sojourners uh, in the near future. And yeah, I do have a podcast called The Fascinating Podcast that I co-host with three other authors, uh, Matt McLattis, Kathy Kong, and Clay Morgan. And we interview all kinds of different people. Uh, but most recently, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the speculative fiction author, Catherine Valente. But uh, she, yeah, so she has a tremendous new novella out called Comfort Me with Apples that I literally can't tell you anything about without spoiling. And so we read that. I read it. I freaked out. I was like, I need everyone to read this so that I can discuss it. Um, And I reached out to Kat and I said, I'm a pastor who loved this novella. And she was like, surely you're joking. And I said, I'm not. Uh, which won't make any sense until you read Comfort Me with Apples. Uh, so I, we invited her on the podcast. So we just we just posted that interview with her, uh, which was just terrific. She is delightful, as you would probably suspect if you know any of her books. So yeah, we uh, that's what we like to do. We like to find people that normally would not be in conversations with people of faith and then have conversations with them. And uh, it's lots of fun. So, <laughs> you know, I like that. And I love that you read a book that, or a novella that you're, you're just like, everyone has to read this. And I love it when that happens. <laughs> I, you know, I do too. It's one, it, it, you're, you're doing the human version, I think of two on one, which is like, we take the things that people don't say are theological and we are, and we, we talk the theology of them and bring them into faith conversations. So we that's so cool. Robots usually, JR. You do that. Yeah, sorry. We're we're robot people. Um, I love so it. Let's talk about Spider-Man and No Way Home and why that. And because I this episode literally cannot be long enough for me. Right. So like, I want to get to the meat. <laughs> let's do it. I'm ready. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm very excited. I will say, just to kick us off, as we have already kind of promised... I'm a big Marvel person. I, I, you know, I've restarted saying goodnight to Chris Evans every night as I do. And I started my own, I started a Twitter account called Mike Chris Evans um, just to retweet me, which is a very self-indulgent thing. But one day I just hope to wake up to a Chris Evans, like, good morning, Smith. Um, but it's been a long couple of years, right? And it's like, uh, after... After Endgame, I was sad. Like my people, are, you know, friends have left. It felt like so. I saved this movie and I watched it this week just for like a really special. Like I needed a for the first time for the first time, and I've watched it six times this week. <laughs> okay, so uh, once again, friends, we're going to remind you that we're a spoilers podcast. We do so unabashedly. <laughs> I'm going to stop and say, uh, if you haven't seen Spider-Man: No Way Home pause this episode, go buy it, go watch it, and then listen to the rest of it. Because um, I'm going to tell you all my Spider-Man story while we're getting ready for it, okay? In 2002, 
uh, the first Spider-Man movie came out, like Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. And it was mm-hmm. before the MCU was even the twinkle in the eye of Robert Downey Jr. or whomever. I was working at City Improv St. Louis, which was a comedy club in Union Station in downtown St. Louis, which has since been renovated out of existence, which broke my heart a few months ago. Like the space no longer exists. Anyways, my friend Tim, who is a marvelous man uh, and a big comic book nerd, he um, invited me. He was like, hey, we're all going to go see Spider-Man downtown. Uh, You should come. And it was a daytime matinee and my super overprotective mother was like, you are 17. You are not going to go hang out with a bunch of (laughs) stand up comedians. Um, And it broke my heart. And uh, I realized there was like this 20 year gap, this 20 year like arc of my own story. We're finally getting to go see Spider-Man in the middle of the day with my own kid and like seeing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield walk out. And I suddenly realized that that has been a story that's been told basically my entire adult life and they did it justice. And I'm so excited. Yeah. So Spiff, I'm curious, like how much was spoiled for you? Nothing. By the time you. I, I intentionally, so here's the good thing about being uh, around (laughs) tech and knowing my way through it is that I blocked everything that wasn't like people that I normally follow, you know, and and I I blocked anything. I blocked all hashtags. I I stayed away from, especially when it first came out. Um, it's not as as much in the conversation like today. Um, but I, I literally, (laughs) I'm good at this. I can, I still don't know what happens in breaking bad for the same reason. (laughs) Like I, wait, I know. I know we have our next, we have our next, uh, that's our, that's fine. Uh, I, I, there are things in my life in which I'm very good about putting up some digital boundaries so that I don't spoil it for, especially if it's meaningful to me, which is, I will say breaking bad is not something that is meaningful. It was just, people were like, you'll like it. Um, and I was like, okay, this is meaningful to me. And so I, I did what I needed to do to put up some boundaries to make sure that when I, it was really important to me that I knew that this, we weren't getting really another Marvel movie for a while. And so, you know, after getting them pretty consistently, so I saved it and I needed it because uh, as we have shared, I live alone. It's all, it's really siloed over here. The last couple of years have not been our jo- most joyous, let's say. And so I am, uh, I cultivate joy and keep it and use it as I need it to fuel me. Um, and I needed it this week. And so I then unblocked everything after I watched it the first time, went down a like super rabbit hole of all the things and then have watched it, I think, every night since. <laughs> so That's amazing. Yeah. The things you can do when you have no children and live alone. I don't right, know. right, right. Stupid relationships in my house. you know Um, i don't know i don't know that people today there's no way they can't kids these days um (laughs) they can't appreciate how batman and robin almost single-handedly forever destroyed superhero movies (gasps) and we had like the shadow and rocketeer and yeah dick tracy type stuff yeah Yeah. but then but then 1997, Batman and Robin. I was like, yes, Batman and Robin specifically. And there was nothing, like, it it was so bad. It was so bad. Okay. that This is a digression, and I apologize. Oh, it's okay. Did you ever watch Batman the Animated Series? Oh, of course. Okay, did you see the episode in which they did the, like, it's three kids, it was like Legends of the Dark Knight, and they're telling Uh 
Wars. And like one of them was talking about man bat. So it was very 1970s Gene Colon. And then it was like Dick Sprang 1940s. And the kids looked like Robin. And one of them did Frank Miller's. The It was a really cool episode and just an homage to the love of these stories. But at one point, there's this boy wearing a feather boa. And he goes, I've heard that they have these muscles and latex and they've got like, and all of the kids go, shut up and get out of here, Joel. And it's a shot at Joel Schumacher. And also, like, right. Oh, not the best thing, but I love it. Sorry. Oh, uh, that's so um, funny. And Robin, that's everything. I mean, people don't like how many superhero movies come out every year these days, right? Like not just from Marvel, but like you got DC, you got like independent ones. And the idea that like, one came out in 97 that had George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman, like Alicia talking about too big to fail. Yeah. Chris O'Donnell, who I right? cannot see Chris O'Donnell and think Robin. Like, it's just like, right. That's it. And yet it bombed so big around socks. Uh, the first X-Men was what? 2001, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Sony. Sony is responsible for the, for the superhero boom. Yeah, so like oh, yeah. four years without a superhero movie, like that's unimaginable. Yeah. And then, you know, Arthur, to your point, we get, we don't just get a superhero movie. Like we get the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. The second he's, so the web slinging, like just they they honored the source material. They mm-hmm. They took it seriously, but they didn't hold it sacrosanct. And it was just the first time he web slinged like that is a cinematic we, we were talking about maybe you want to when we talked to uh, dr donnie featherston about the never-ending story i am arguing that the never-ending story is the line between mystery science theater 3000 and camp like everything worse than see they are agreed. that's fair that's fair okay yeah. but like and i would argue that spider-man upped the game on what it means to make niche movies like that's when yeah. actually became the mainstream had to have. I mean, duh. Sorry, it was an X Men. Yeah, wasn't... I mean, right? Because as as good as the X Men movie was, they uh, they ignored a lot. Like, you know, they're making jokes about the comic costumes, right? They're like they're doing all of these things to like make it more realistic and believable. And Sam Raimi Spider Man didn't do that. Like, it went full, you know, full Spidey. Well, and it was the first time I think that we really saw the focus again back into a singular narrative uh, that was a part of a larger thing, right? Like X Men, you, it, it it's 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 a group. It like they only function because of a group. Spider Man is like let's focus. It's like taking a singular gospel. It's like you know, like we've mm-hmm. got the synopsis. You know that there's other stories out there, but like, what does it mean to focus on this one particular story and say? It's worth investing deeply in this. So that is a great question. Thanks. I like it. <laughs> uh, right. No, yes. but I, but but I, you know, but I think talking. Yeah, you are. You're in Mark right now, and all of our deuces know that you love a good, you know, First Corinthians plug. So, um, but oh, Second Corinthians, thank you. Oh, sorry, Second Corinthians. You love a good. You love a good epistle. Um, so. <laughs> And I use good real lightly. So um, you've seen my notes. It's true. I have seen your notes, but I want to get back to what does it mean to what do these movies tell us about 
our ability and the necessity of looking deeply at individual stories as well as part of the whole, um, especially as faith leaders, as that's what we do often um, in in our biblical texts, in our exegetical work, and in our you know preaching teaching moments. Yeah, that's such an interesting question, given what we get in No Way Home, right? Because yeah. you, Arthur, I think the reason you said it worked is because it it not only brings three different spider people together, it also uh, somehow elevated all three of their stories and made them made the individual stories better, uh, particularly a lot of the villains that that because of the typical superhero movie thing of you kill the villain at the end of the story, uh, many of these villains who are ongoing characters in the comics, right. And who have, uh, who have almost as interesting, I mean, particular doc Ock has almost as interesting of a story at this point as Peter does. Um, but like he gets killed at the end of Spider-Man too, you know? Uh, and so, uh, there's, there's, there's like a, there is some kind of a loss, right. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt the same way about Black Panther, which I argue has the, the, they blew the ending the worst of any Marvel movie by killing Ooh. Killmonger. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, what a good villain who's not a villain who is a villain. Well, let him go to the raft and then have Electro break everyone out of the raft and start the new Avengers. Like, I honestly thought what Killmonger when because Killmonger says what well, you're going to go put me in a cage right I wanted T'Challa to say well technically the the contest has not been finished yet mm. right because we're both still alive and it's either to the death until or until someone gives in so submit honor honor me as the king and then you have like a he's like the right hand guy and they've you know it's this okay we'll try it your way but you're wrong and when your way fails you know, and then that would have set up a really interesting conflict for later films. But and also, I realize that we're talking Black Panther right now, but that's fine. <laughs> but I just went back and watched. I watched that after um, Chadwick Boseman died, and that line, like essentially, like knowing the like to the death, and knowing he's saying that, knowing what he knew about his own personal health, broke me. Yeah. And it's why these? It's why I think going back to my question, why it's important that we invest in these individual characters because you build relationships, you build like meaningful care, and uh, even around those that have wronged you and wronged those you love, right? Like we still want more Killmonger. We still want, you know, in this movie when you know everyone comes back. I don't know about you all, but it was very hopeful and also very sad. And I was like, I know we're not getting Tony and we're not, you are not getting Tony back, but it gives you that glimpse of hope that one day we might get Tony back. There is a resurrection in this that offers hope, even if we don't see maybe that resurrection. Well, it's, it's the reminder of possibility. And I think that's an important word for the church, right? Because when inevitably, if I grew up reading uh, primarily X-Men comics through the 90s. Like the Onslaught saga just blew my mind. The Age of Apocalypse, I had every single story in there. I am praying, not actually praying, but so close (laughs) that Patrick Stewart is Professor X in the Illuminati in Doctor Strange 2. Like, like 
I have a candle lit right now for the multiverse. <laughs> right, right, right here. Um, so like, I do want, sorry, I realize that we're, uh, I, I think we're all, we're very excited to talk to JR Deuces and we're clearly very excited to talk Marvel, but uh, I realize I've talked over both of you for many minutes. No, it's okay. JR, what is yeah? What 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 is your thought on uh, the individual store? The necessity of well, the that yeah. Story? So so it goes it goes back to the three Peters and and all their villains, right? Like each, like we all, especially those of us who who you know went in two thousand two to see the first Tobey Maguire Spider Man and have have watched every single movie since then. Like we've experienced the highs and the lows, and I think we do, as you said, Spiff. Like we have relationships with these characters right? We care about them. And when Spider-Man 3 was awful and we had emo dancing Spider-Man, like, we suffered. So bad. So this is a side <laughs> question, but it's an important one because I, so I'm hearing a lot of this is, what does this do to canon, right? And now the, okay, entire, yeah. the entire canon is blown wide open because, uh, sorry, what I was bringing up with the X-Men thing in the multiverse, in the 90s, they brought they made Tony Stark a mind-controlled agent of King the Conqueror, and then he ended up being killed by a teen version of himself. And everybody's like, why is Iron Man a teenager? And then he just, Mr. Fantastic Son fixed it. It's a long story. But, like, the door is open to teenage Tony Stark walking out. Like, Timothy Chalamet being like, I'm Tony Stark. Like, we don't. So if the cannon's broken wide open, what does that do in terms of churchiness of, like, how do we... How do we navigate our holy texts, the stuff we love and the stuff we don't love? And how do we hold those in tension with the new things that are being said? Like mm -hmm. I get the canons closed. I'm fine with that. But what do we do? Okay, so <clears throat> I uh, I really love how much room scripture makes for uh, what we'll go ahead and anachronistically call multiverse stories, right? Mm -hmm. um, like for instance, uh, where did Cain's wife come from? Right. It's there's, there's four people, then there's three people. And then Cain takes his wife and moves to the land of not. And we're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. it's an intentional question mark in the text, right? Mm -hmm. Who are the Nephilim? Um, were there seven of clean animals on the ark or two of every animal, right? Like there are these, there are these different versions uh, that and then in the New Testament too, right? Did did were there two demoniacs in Gerasa or one? Did okay. Jesus heal two blind men beside the road or one? Was he crucified on a Thursday or a Friday? Like right, like there are all of these places in the text where we are already getting competing stories. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, uh, gosh, you compare Paul's letters to the narrative of Paul and Acts, and there's some weird discrepancies, right? right. Um, and and so I think. I think part of the answer is just stepping back and saying um, there's always been room for more stories in the canon than at least us white Western Christians are comfortable with coming out of the age of enlightenment and modernity, uh, where the, the goal was always to get down to the one true story, you know, and my, my favorite uh, church father is uh, Tatian, the one that tried to make the Dia Tesseron, yeah. where he just harmonized all four of the Gospels. And the church was like, nah, we're good. Like, they, we didn't want that, right? Like, the early church, I think, had the wisdom to say, we want all four of these. And, you know, there's all kinds of metaphors, like, it's, they're paintings, not pictures, and all that kind of stuff. But, like, 
we've always said, no, 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 no. Like we're happy with multiplicity. We're happy with ambiguity. We're happy with these things. Um, and it is funny to watch, you know, I think Marvel's doing it really well with multiverse stuff. Uh, Star Wars has handled it less well with having, you know, that there was the expanded universe of novels Mm -hmm. and then Disney just said, okay, you can have all of those, but now they go on the not real shelf, right? Like Disney explicitly said, these are not canon anymore. And then they're making new canon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a single moment. Well, yeah. or or when Star Trek rebooted in 2009. Yeah. And they said, oops, it's an alternate universe and now nothing you know matters. But but I think part of that is because canon gets so weighted down, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm so, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm doing my work on Mark and like it's, well, Tertullian says this and then Martin Luther says this and then Bart says this. And we can draw these direct lines. And what do the women say? I know. I know. I'm sorry. The minute Nothing. I- it said fear and trembling. And they left saying nothing to anyone. That's the end of Mark. It, it's Paul <laughs> saying women need to cover their head because clearly we weren't covering our, covering our heads. And we were out here preaching the gospel. Revelation mm. is you listen to this woman Jezebel and that's on you. But it's because they're listening to this preacher Jezebel. So I apologize, Spiff. The minute I named three men in a row, I was Whoa, just like, I'm gonna do is it wrong? Like what? I know, but but that's that's the point I'm trying to make, though. No, for sure. I know. The, the freedom to tell these stories, what we do is we become so calcified in it. Um, and I, you know, I I love the uh, so I love the portrayal of Doctor Strange in the movie because it's it's just depressed Doctor Strange, and he's in sweats and his cape and like. <laughs> He probably needs to go see Doc Samson or another therapist. Yep. They all need to go to therapy. Let's be very clear there. Did you uh, when he did, did the uh, when he hit Spider Man's soul out of his body, did you see this? He has spider sense lines coming out of his head. They're clear, but it's very much the John Romita, Steve Ditko like. I, sorry, that was my little comment. Well, no, and what you're getting that too, Arthur. I think. Um, I, I, one of the lines, so, cause I'm a dork. I like took notes the first time I watched it. Well, no, the second time I watched it, the first time I watched it, I just watched it for me. But, uh, yeah. the second, yeah, I was just like, I'm sorry, this is this good. Like I knew it was good. Everyone had told me it was good. Everyone's like Spiff, what do you think? It's the first Marvel movie I've not seen at midnight in a theater. Um, but that's just for health reasons, I decided to not. And so that's why I also waited longer um, for it because I, I was like, if I'm not doing it the way that I do it, like, let me do it on a really intentional, in an intentional way. But the Electo and Max like line, uh, Jamie Foxx uh, says like, there's like a line in which he's like there's no black spider-man like and he names it and going back arthur to what you were saying about like well you know i named three men of course you know like that's just historically that's the canon that's like the canon of commentary and here's the canon of spider-man does not mean that in the multiverse that we have because we do have a black spider-man in the con or in the um morales and we were, yeah. I was expecting him. I'm, I'm, I kind of was too. And I was like, how are they going to do this? But they did, you know, like there are multiple universes in which there are, you know, disabled trans black women Spider Man, like that just exists in the same way in which we have disabled black trans Jesus. Um, and because we exist in ways that understand that what we are doing now. Uh, in this time and space is not necessarily the only truth that needs to be. 
Not that there, it's the only truth that there is, but it's the only truth that it doesn't need to be the only truth because God can do more. The Marvel universe can do more, not to say that they are God, but there's this uh, expandability. Of it. And so that I just wanted to name that, like, there is even that line within the recognition of the characters that says, and yet more. I, like I don't know if there was a there wasn't a question. There was a yes to Arthur's statement on what you were saying. Sorry. It is nice when people agree with me. Okay, so it's a. Uh, I don't know. Did I cut you off in mid? To, I did. You did not. You did not. You were so good. Everything is great, and uh, we life is marvelous. Here's my. I gotta stop saying marvelous because it's like I'm punning and I'm really not trying to. Every time I think you are, I'm like nicely done. I'm so not, but I say awesome a lot, and then I'm like, I, I, are people expecting me to sing "Everything Is Awesome" from Lego Movie, and I'm not so going my, to. My dear friend, Tim, uh, the person I was going to go see Spider-Man with and the person that has been the persistent friend that will not let me just stop calling him and who one of the best people in my life. Tim does not like this movie. Bye, and, Tim. Well, Tim said <laughs> like he was like it was fan service. It was it was bubblegum. It was. And I said, Tim, it's a superhero movie. They're all fan service. That's all it is. You're going, oh, my God, it's Electro. Like there's no. I don't think a superhero movie is going to win an Oscar for best screenplay because I don't think there has to be a lot of depth to it. There is depth and there is purpose. The fan service thing was this. It all worked out. Not only that, but like Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man got to save Mary Jane or sorry, MJ. Um, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man got to reconcile with Norman Osborn and with Doc Ock. They, they all, there was a happy ending to it. And, you know, and the, the silhouettes in the sky, it's Craven, it's Scorpion, there's all this possibility. And is it okay to have fan service with the gospel sometimes? Is it okay just to say, does the, does the gospel always have to scandalize? And that's a real question. In there. Ooh. Does there always have to be controversy for it? So, so I think there's two questions there. One, I think you could ask if there's fan service in the gospels, mm. um, which I think you have to argue there is, right? Like That's... it's, it's difficult for me to imagine a, a Jewish and Gentile congregation hearing the gospel of Matthew being read and the Jewish people being like, Hey, Hey, did you catch that Moses reference? And the Gentile person being like, who's Moses? I'm sorry. What? You know, like, <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, Your dad carried Jesus cross. <laughs> right, right. Are you the Rufus? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, so much of the gospel stories are uh, a recapitulation of everything that has come before in Israel's story mm -hmm. in a very self-reflective and self-intentional way. Um, and so uh, I think that, I mean, I, one, I agree with you, Arthur. I think that this is fan service done well. And I think because, as you said, every piece of fan service is actually there to further the story being told. There's there's nothing that's frivolous in this movie uh, compared to something like Ready Player One, oh, which, which is literally just nostalgia vomit. And it's it is the uh, how many things can you recognize game? Okay, so a side note on that. Um, that book made me so mad. And it's one of, 
books I read in the airport because literally like the the female character in it is a prize to be won. Yeah. And like I'm not interested in you. And he's like, but I'm now king of the internet. And she's like, well, then I must throw myself at you. It's horrible. Yeah. It's yeah. shame on you guy. Uh, yeah. But so I, Deuces, you all know this. We record our, our podcasts ahead of time. These are not live anymore. And I want to say this strictly because when this airs, I will be in Israel. Um, I leave on Monday for my very first trip to the Holy Land for two weeks. And I'm so excited to to go. I've never been. And I'm, uh, I am disconnecting. I'm leaving kind of everything behind so that I can be present there. But I also have not left my home in a very long time for like substantial. We just started worshiping in person two weeks ago. So I have been just in my house. And one of the things that we've been talking about, and this goes back to the fanfare conversation, um, is that, you know, when we are there, there, we're going to sites that will have crowds and there's going to be, I'm going to be around more people. And I live in a very populated city. I live in one of the most populated cities in the world. And yet I have stayed. Wichita. Yeah. What? It's at least twice as big as Wichita. At least. I mean, (laughs) I venture to say my block is twice as big, (laughs) but that's something else. Um, but, uh, I, but I have not left my walls. You all know this about like, I am immunocompromised. I am someone that has, I also broke my leg. So like, there's a, I, you know, Spiv is also on the, on the mend always. But one of the things that I have been prayerful about and have found helpful is to recognize in our scriptures, the crowds that gather around Jesus and to utilize them as a way in which to understand the crowds that I will inevitably meet there. And I wonder if that is not the fan service in part that we are talking about, that there is those on Palm Sunday that come to gather in parade or, you know, and say like, there is, there is fan service. They, they are excited to see Jesus. They have heard of this person. There are people for whom this is their first Spider-Man movie. And this is their first intro into the MCU. They, you know, they're maybe they're young and they haven't grown up, you know, watching my husband, Chris Evans. And um, you know what I mean? And this is their entry in and they're excited. And the fanfare I think is okay because I think we need more fanfare in the church. I think we need to say, get excited now. Not, were you excited when you first joined and how do we sustain that? I think the question becomes, and I think what this movie does well is to say, choose now to be excited about the good work of Jesus Christ. Choose now to be excited about, you know, all of these new Spider-Mans that you are seeing and the way in which superhero movies offer a glimpse of hope to your world that may seem a bit too hard sometimes. And so I'm just, uh, I'm really excited to, uh, I'm not excited for the crowds. I am excited to be a part of a crowd in which people are gathering to experience, you know, the gospel in real time. And I think this movie does that. I think in its own way to Tim, I think the fanfare is necessary and exciting because if we don't get excited every time we see something that we are passionate about, people also won't be passionate about it and get excited or at minimum be curious about it because I know I'm most curious about people's passions when I feel that energy. 
Right. And you've watched No Way Home like six times or eight times. And JR. Six, okay. six like, times in the last week because I'm also alternating between Heartstopper, which is another um, well, show that I want to talk about later on. So Deuces out there who's seen Heartstopper, get in touch. So maybe this is a question of evangelism, uh, ultimately. Like, what is the good news and how do we get excited about it or sustain excitement about it? Because here's the deal. I can... I, Smith, I'll send you like the draft of the uh, article I was going to write for Are You Still Watching on Spider-Man No Way Home, which was essentially this movie made me feel good and I'm so excited for its place in the greater universe. And I feel like it was made for me. Like there is a good news to No Way Home. And it's funny with gospel versus gospels, like the good news is every story matters. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a... It, 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 in a world that retcons and in a world that changes over so frequently, what Marvel did with this movie is they just said it all has a place and it all has a purpose. And if, if which, that, yes, well, it's just that's that's the uh, I, so one of my all time favorite runs in uh, Batman comics is Grant Morrison because yeah. they did exactly that same thing right. when they approached. When they approached Batman, they were like, okay, so Batman's been a character since the late 30s, and it's gotten real weird, uh, but I'm going to write assuming that it all happened. Right. There's so much wacky shit from the 50s that the Batman of Zen Earl are. Yeah. 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 And most writers basically say, we're just going to pretend that the embarrassing stuff didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And what Grant Morrison did was say, let's assume it all happened and then let's ask what kind of person does that produce? And then what kind of stories does that generate? It got weird. It did. It was lovely. I have a question as we're talking about these things. Sorry. I realized that uh, it, it just came to me. <laughs> um, in the church, we work really hard, church at large, but most likely our, con- our congregations as well. We've worked really hard to move away from certain things, right? Like certain mm-hmm. ethos, certain thought processes, whatever. What does it mean when our villains come back and we have to face them again? And how do we do so as the church? Because I think one of the things that this movie does in a really interesting way is humanize some of the people that we have been told to write off and some of them prove us right and some of us prove them wrong. But I guess my question is, how do you see grace at work in the return of some of these villains? This was my favorite part of the movie. Um, it's obviously what I wrote about for Sojourners. Right. Um, the the idea that Marvel, as a storytelling machine, is, and I, I would actually point at the Hawkeye series that came out uh, just yeah. actually it, it was happening while this was while No Way Home was released. Uh, it seems to indicate that that Marvel is starting to grapple with the fact that like other than Loki <laughs> they have killed every single villain uh, and Zemo excuse me Loki and Zemo other than those two they've killed every single villain at the end of their movies that 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 it's their story has been a hero is the person who can outpunch the other guy mm-hmm. 
right? And 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 uh, so even even in in Spider Man Homecoming, when he's fighting, I guess Vulture is another one that didn't kill. Sorry, there are a few that he didn't kill, right, but, but mostly the most right? part. The rule is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, literally at the end of Spider Man Homecoming, the message is try harder, Spider Man. Right? He's trapped under all that rubble, and he's like, get up, Spider Man, get up, Spider Man, get up, Spider Man, and then for no story motivated reason just because he needed to, to win, he's all of a sudden able to get back up and then punch the vulture until he falls down. Um, and that's a very, uh, it's a very immature and simplistic answer to the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's what we've seen in the, in the first two Spider-Man trilogies and in the first, and in, in uh, the first two Spider-Man films with Tom Holland is, is just, you just got to be good enough to beat the other guy till he falls down and dies, you know? Yeah. And it's harder to find solutions and it's harder to trust. And it's harder to say, let me help you. Um, I, I didn't like, I did like that. The, the villains were like, I'm not, I'm not a dog that needs to be fixed. I think is what Dr. Octopus says. Right. And I mean, how do we, so how do we approach villains of like, look, you have chased off every single couple with a child. You have you have made it your mission to say we value Sunday school, but you have chased off every family. I need to correct this behavior if you want to stay in community. Like who yeah. gets to, who gets to be that authority in the church? Does it fall to pastors or does it fall within covenant? Does it fall within relationship? It's not my Peter Parker. Maybe that makes it easier to stomach. I'm and I think the answer is complicated. I think it probably depends on the church. It probably depends on the person. Uh I think in a lot of church cultures, uh, and I'll speak at least from my perspective in, in evangelicalism, the perception is that it's the pastor's role. Mm-hmm. Uh, though often a lot of a lot of churches are set up in such a way that if it's a particular family or two, uh, they don't actually respect the pastor's authority when it comes to their own spiritual growth, right? Not if it's, and, especially if it's not if they're the big givers or something like like if right, they've right, funded right. the church, it's yeah, there and. And so it, that, at that point, it may need to be other folk who have been around a long time, who have earned the right to speak into their lives, you know, that, that can say things the pastor can't, you know, uh, or will be heard in a way the pastor will be heard. Yeah. I, well, I, I think you're right. And it goes back to also the structure, right? Because there are some, like, I'm core congregationally based. So ideally, it would be part of the congregation's responsibility to articulate the like ethos of who we are, you know, best practices, what's not allowed. But there are also structures in which there are churches in which every member could actually leave and it would still have a pastor and still exist technically. So I would say then it does fall to leadership in that way. Um mm-hmm. But it's an interesting dynamic about who, you know, like, but then what does the, what's the role of relationship, I think, is then like what yeah. gets stuck into there. I'm curious, my, so you said that that was part of, in your in part, your favorite part of um, the, you know, what's happening here. My favorite part of this entire movie in which I sobbed, I have sobbed at every single MC, like at every single Marvel movie, even if I love it. And so like. What made you cry in the Eternals? <laughs> You want the real answer? Is it the? You want to know the real answer? You want to know an answer that I tell me? I always want the The real real answer. Is when I saw Harry Styles and I got very excited. 
we have to do an Eternals episode because that made my heart happy on like 15 levels. And because there are two people that I don't like in this world and they are the people that Harry Styles and, and Chris Evans date and they change. <laughs> so, oh, okay, nice. So, it's so just I mean, I love you, Olivia Wilde, but like Nemesis. Um, I love Harry Styles. Okay, I'm sorry. I was digressing though. What made you cry? No, 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 it's fine. My, but the part that really, uh, it got me, y'all, it got me so bad in a like, like in my feels in the like this is the church and this is the jesus moment is when is it oh god which (sighs) what is the difference between taking the evil out of someone and ending their life Mm. Mm -hmm. the difference between the final punch that ends someone's existence and the the sh- and being able to catch the shot that takes the evil away and i lost it i was like what a beautiful question to ask because we want to wipe away those that harm us we want to say you know we i mean granted i was also in my fields for a state execution that was happening in texas with a woman that you know like fundamentally did not do it and so that there's that i'm i am someone who does not believe in capital punishment so i will for me or for my own belief systems but we are a society that loves to just wipe out we love to say you are bad in the church go away you this gospel or this narrative in our bible is bad cut it out but, but what does it mean to extract the evil instead and let the spark of god that resides flourish and that's where I was like, oh God, like this is, this is why I got into church in the first place. Like someone give me the thing to take out the evil when I want to uh, say no more to you at all. And I don't have a question and for that. I just, need no, to I, that was like, yeah, my, like, huh. I, I think, uh, I think the villain that for me, I most easily resonated in that with was Doc Ock. Yeah. In large part because he was so sympathetic in his for in his original movie Spider Man Two, mm-hmm. um, it was it was very clear in Spider Man Two that he was being corrupted by the arms and by the the like AI that's in the arms, and so there's a moment of clarity even at the end of Spider Man Two when he when he kills himself, um, where you understand that this is Otto, not the arms, and he's trying to be good, you know, so when. I mean, I loved I loved the idea of Bluetooth Peter taking over his, the arms, and that was that was just a great little like narrative shortcut that made so much sense given that it's been twenty years, and you know our technology is like a teeny bit better than it was twenty years ago, and he's got Stark tech anyway, so whatever you know. And but, it's like Tony, sorry, it's like right, get, right, 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 right. You get the nanotech, and ugh. yeah, but then but then when they're actually able to like put the inhibitor back, and Otto is back to himself, yeah, I, it felt so good, right? And it was such a, it was such a simple solution that was still more difficult than killing him, right? But it but it recognized his humanity and it preserved his humanity. And I think that was why it was important that he was first, right? Cause it's like, no, look, it's going to take a little bit more work, but we can do this. You know, it's, is it way easier to just push the button and send them all back and let them die? Well, yeah, of course it's way easier to do that, but that's not the right move. And it doesn't open the path for redemption for the other two Spider-Men, you know, and this entire thing is built on relation. I mean, let's, let us not forget that the entire 
structure of this movie is is Peter Parker going to uh, Doctor Strange saying like, do this thing. I want people to forget. Oh, but wait, not MJ. Oh, wait, not Ned. Not not the people that know me because my life is better because they know me in my truth. And even before that, yeah, before that, he does that not because his life is hard. But because of how it's affecting Ned and MJ and Aunt May, right? So you do get the sense that, like, if Peter ruined his own life, he'd just be grumpy about it, but he'd be fine. Well, in the comic books, they call it Parker luck. (laughs) It's it's literally just like, what is Peter Parker but a loser? Um, Yeah. So with the villains, I do think it's important. So these are the five villains who died, right? With Mm -hmm. two exceptions. I don't remember in Spider-Man 3. Did Venom die, Topher Grace's Venom, or was it just... Honestly, like, I blo- I've blocked that movie out entirely. So. But the, the other... So, like, Venom is a property that's being developed right now, and they had the mid credit scenes where Tom Hardy's Venom was there, fine. But then there is... Uh, we should talk about Harry Osborn for a second. Because Harry Osborn was played by the now infamous and persona non grata James Franco in the first trilogy... I forget who he was in the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Dane DeHaan. Thank you. Venom does die. Sorry, okay. I just I just looked it up. Just to, like in. Canada. I assumed he did, but yeah, like, yeah. So, so I mean, Venom. It's an understandable like marketing perspective. They don't want to muddy the waters when they're putting out Venom movies right now. Fine, but they intentionally ignore Harry Osborn. They don't mention him. They don't bring him up. They do not acknowledge his like Norman Osborn doesn't say where is my son. When he goes to look for Oscorp Tower, when he tries to find this out, he just. So when we talk about whole story and the whole story matters and that everybody can be redeemed and ultimately everybody can and they're worth fighting for. What do we do with the unmentionables? Oh, because the I unmentionables mean, are different, I guarantee you, in our three congregations. Oh, hands mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. I want to, you know, like, it's one of those things I, because we saw Doc Ock, like, really, we, we, uh, we saw some humanity there, especially when Peter took over and he was, you know, like, there was a little bit of the, like, it, it will he, won't he come back to this? And then you see uh, Norman and, with Aunt May and she's like, but he's changed. Look at this. And there you're, you're expected to then, and then. Peter does. He gives the grace to do it and he is proven wrong, unfortunately, but the grace is there. And I think that that's why we're called into community because you're always, you're going to want to write someone off and someone's always going to say, but I have this experience with them. And like, is that not the work of the church? I don't know. And the person who has no friends is just the most heartbreaking one. (laughs) Well, I think too, I mean, it is also important that this movie is not a movie that goes, oh, you know, they're all just misunderstood. And maybe if we just create a little space, we can all get along. Like they are villains. Mm -hmm. Um, They are trying. I mean, I love that the ongoing joke with lizard is like, yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. And everyone's like, what's with the lizards, man? He's like, lizards are awesome. It's like, so good. Like, like some good truth there. It's like wizards are awesome. There's a there's a panel from when they fight Sauron, who's this mutagenic doctor. The I think it's the New Avengers, and it, I think it's Peter Parker who says like, "Why don't you use your science to cure cancer?" And he goes, "Because turning people into dinosaurs is awesome." <laughs> <laughs> it's just 
Those are my favorite films. I'm sorry. That's yeah. Excuse my interruption. So, you know, you take someone like a Franco, right? Uh, the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I have seen, I don't know that he has acknowledged, apologized, or moved to make reparation for anything that he's done. Mm-hmm. And that that means that he remains in this villainous territory. And so, you know, Spiff, when you were saying that it's like, it's like, how do you extract the evil without destroying the person? I think that's the question the church has to ask, right? Like, like, how do we, how do we, how do we acknowledge the humanity of the person uh, without allowing their, their evil to go unchecked? And the, 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 the thought experiment I use for this is our, our, our congregation prides itself on being a safe and welcoming place for everyone. Um so we have a we have a number of uh, persons of color, right? We have a number of of LGBTQ folk, uh, whatever. Do I want people who are unrepentant? Uh, I shouldn't say unrepentant. Do I want people who are white supremacists to feel comfortable coming to my congregation? Well, like in theory, yeah, because I want them to repent of that and to come to healing and renounce that. But like, if someone comes in wearing a Confederate Confederate flag t-shirt, I can't just say, well, you know, we want everyone to feel safe here. So let's just let it go or don't say anything about it because that automatically is creating a much less safe space for the more vulnerable people in my congregation. Repentance is about like change. It's right, right. It, has it doesn't mean you don't tangible. have consequences. Yeah, right. and it doesn't mean you don't have right. consequences to the actions. Right, like right. You're a white supremacist. You can repent, and still, there are people that are not going to want to be in worship with you. Doesn't mean yep. that God doesn't love you. No, but doesn't mean maybe a different service or maybe a different space. Well, or church. you know, I I'll exercise some of my male privilege here. I don't look attractive with my shirt off. But I would say maybe to that person, all hey, bodies are beautiful, JR. All the, thank you. I would maybe say to that person, hey, look, um, th- you can't have that shirt here. I will happily give you my shirt if you would want to stay. Um, and I'll just, you know, preach in my swimsuit, basically. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> preach in my swimsuit. But, you know, that that would be that would be awkward. It would certainly cause conversation in my congregation, but I think the conversation would be around, we tried to find a creative way to honor this person's humanity while refusing the sin that they were enmeshed in. And we made ourselves uncomfortable to make space for this person in a way that also preserved the dignity of the most vulnerable among us. Exactly. And where is the work? I mean, the, and that's also just the surface of the work, right? I think we can both agree about right. that. Like you're, you, you showed up to a church service in a Confederate flag. There's something deeper there than just, you didn't have clean clothes. Uh, yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. Like, probably. yeah, that's yeah. yeah. I live in Texas. So you never know. That's also, but, I mean, I, um, we have all three of there, us have lived in Texas. <laughs> there's a pop-up of flags for a candidate who should not run in 2024. And it, uh-huh. in this, uh, but it's like Confederate flags. And I just want to be like, John Brown did not take over Harper's Ferry. 
for you idiots to wave Confederate flags in bloody Kansas. But yeah. course, what they're really saying is I'm scared of people of color. Hey, uh, yeah. I want us to be cognizant. Ending on that. No, I mean, I, I, what we're saying here is that uh, Spider-Man continues to call us into the deeper work of knowing what is sin, what is evil, and how they, uh, and what is human, and how they are enmeshed in each other. Let, <laughs> so that we don't end on a, um, I don't remember what we ended on. Racism is bad, folks. You heard it. Racism is terrible. Yes. Uh, we, so I, I want us to be aware and I want us to respect the time that we have together. So yes, although we could do this all day long. This is the best. Um, JR, uh, you know the drill. What biblical theme, book, narrative, context, person are you most reminded of in Spider-Man No Way Home? So I I have been really stuck on the concept of reparations lately. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a little bit of a weird way to get there, but I, I am just fascinated by the fact that that what we have in Tom Holland's Spider-Man is, is a really an acknowledgement of the wrong that other versions of himself have done. You know, uh, not, it's not him, right? But it's, it's other versions of him. And, and, and I, I think he likely can see the potential for that in himself. Uh, and so I've, I've been, I've been just hanging out with Zacchaeus lately, who, when he recognizes his sin, literally the first thing he does is go to make reparation. He says, I'm going to pay everyone back, but then, uh, above and beyond that, I'm going to pay them back four times, whatever I have taken from them. And, I think I always grew up hearing that as, as like generosity is like, Oh wow. Look how generous he is that he is not only paying them back, but then like going above and beyond uh, as I've been reading a lot more about reparations and about wealth, it's a recognition of the fact that by, by stealing from them in the first place, he not only took the sum at the time, but he also took the potential future wealth that would be generated from having that money and so his four times back is less an act of generosity and more an act of reparation to say, I am, I am working to, and I think Arthur, you just said this, right. I'm working to tangibly make this different. Uh, I'm, I'm offering more than thoughts and prayers. I'm offering more than a half, uh, half-hearted notes app apology that I posted to my socials, uh, where I say that I'm going to spend some time thinking and working on this stuff. I'm going to create like a tangibly different reality that specifically seeks to redress the injustices done. And when I'm looking at when I'm looking at Tom Holland, that's what he keeps insisting, right? He's like he's like the lived reality of these people has to be different than it was the last time. Uh, we have to literally, like, you should be able to measurably see the difference in how I'm responding this time versus last time. Mm. I love that. Yeah, it's so good. Good Zacchaeus poll, too. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually say something that's in line with that. I'm going to pull 2 Corinthians 5, the Ministry of Reconciliation, where ambassadors in this. Because it, it, it has to be pulled into that. Uh, it, it is the, the work of reconciliation has to be through repentance, and repentance is changing the way one believes and interacts with the world. I tell my 11-year-old, almost 12-year-old all the time, apology means nothing without amends. Um, thoughts and prayers, I'm going to work on this. I I would much rather hear <clears throat> um, 
Right. I mean, if we want to talk about James Franco, there's acknowledgement that has to happen. Absolutely. There's apology. And then there has to be the making it right. And if you don't know a lot about bridge building, don't burn so many bridges. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's good. Uh, Spiff, do you get bonus points for predicting that Arthur was going to quote Second Corinthians at the end of today? I don't I don't always do Second Corinthians. I don't. No. I know. And she called it at the beginning, though. That's what I'm saying. Do you get so I, I literally have binders full of notes on the Corinthian letters because the running gag through this entire series has been, well, I'm doing this long study on Corinthians. I worry that when I finally finish Second Corinthians, we're gonna have to end the show. <laughs> Good thing God is still speaking. Galatians. That's what I'll do. Uh, yes, I will always, I I am two or three, so I will always take bonus points. Um, uh, I'm going to go with that when all three of the spider men, (laughs) the spider mans, the spider men recognize each, recognize each other, even though they are not each other, but are each other. It is the call for the church to recognize the, it's the Imago Dei. It's the call of the church to recognize that there is a spark of God in each of us and to recognize who we are uh, connected to and through each other um, in this life and the next. Wow. Your cloud of witness in no way home. Um, Love you guys. And by the way, there is one bit of fluff that has no purpose in the story, except that it's a hilarious shot. It is when they're in the lab and they invoke the meme, the witch Peter, which Peter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good because Andrew Garfield was like, this will be funny if we do this. And And also Zendaya is the best MJ. I'm just going to name it since we did not talk at all about her. Sorry. Um, And also RIP May. No, you can't. You can't. I'm sorry. That's apples and oranges. That's that's multiversal. That's multiversal impossibility right there. But that is probably our cue that this has been another episode of two on one. A reminder, dear ones, uh, our deuces of all varieties, shapes, sizes, and of course, origin stories uh with great power comes great responsibility and with great stoles comes great response uh to liturgy so please make sure you go to jeff one row j-e-f-f-w-u-n-r-o-w.com use our promo code two on one one five you'll figure out the letters and numbers all will be well uh jr thank you for everything and a million times in it please check out jr's podcast please subscribe to sojourners just so you can read jr i'm seriously going to send in my renewal just so i can read your stuff uh it'll be great on behalf of the two-on-one project i'm the reverend arthur stewart i'm the reverend stephanie kendall spider smith and who are you i'm jr foresteros also a reverend i should have led with that right reverend jr foresteros you, you will my friend and you do as you will do says we'll see you next time Get more two-on-one at twoononeproject.com.